Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Man Talks podcast. This is Roger. Taylor Hunt has written a book called Away from Darkness. It's the unflinching and confessional story of his addiction to health, physical, emotional, and spiritual. It's also a story of his addiction to heroin. Heroin left him bankrupt in every imaginable sense of the word. And his story is so incredibly powerful because it shows us that no matter how low you can get, and Taylor explains just how low he got, you can rebuild. You can learn how to get out of that in- incredibly terrible position. And, and in Taylor's experience, he's done it through yoga. In fact, he is a Ashtanga yoga practitioner, and he's brought that to, to uh, his community in Columbus, Ohio, and is also using it to teach other addicts about uh, how to, you know, uh, recover properly. Um, the book is incredible. It's called Away from Darkness, and we're so happy that we got a chance to talk to him. Um, so let's bring on Mr. Taylor Hunt. Hi, Taylor. Thank you so much for joining us on the Man Talks podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, before we get started, we always love to ask our guests uh, the same question. That is, can you share with me a defining moment in your life? Well, one of the biggest defining moments that I've ever had in my life, and this was um, sort of like a turning point for me to go from really living in addiction to living sober, was when I was, I was crushing up pills to snort them. And one of the pills went down the drain and it was in the drain and it was, um, it went down there and I ripped the whole plumbing apart when I got down in there and I, I came up and there's obviously a mirror in, in front of the sink and I came up with the pipes in my hand. And of course I didn't find the pill, which is, which was a good thing at the time, or at least looking back on it, it seems like a good thing. And I looked in the mirror And I realized that the animal that I had become, and it was scary. Um, I looked, I I looked at a person and for the first time I maybe saw like the reality of the situation, Roger. Mm. And I was looking at someone that I didn't actually know. And I was holding these um, plumbing pipes and I was like, how did I get here? How did I get here? And that was like the first glimpse of me having a true reflection of my, my reality that I, I created this person through bad behavior and through antisocial behavior, we call it. I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like, I don't want to be this person. And it was like the first moment in my life where I really realized who I was and I didn't want to do that anymore. I didn't want to be that anymore. And that was, that was a really defining moment for me. Well, thank you for sharing that. Let's, let's set the table for the listeners as far as how you did get there. You've written this incredible story of your life and 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 how you, you know your road to recovery. Uh, the book is called Away from Darkness. Can you share with us how you got to that point? Well, I mean, it it first started off as just like drinking, you know, and um, alcoholism and drug addiction kind of ran in my family, skipped a generation. So, like my my dad and mom, it didn't it didn't touch them, but their their family members, their uncles, their grandpas, like all had like this affliction. So like we had no context for it, but it started out as like kind of happy drinking and partying and like having a good time. What I realized is in high school, like my parents got a divorce um, as a result of like my dad having um, an extramarital affair. And, And what happened was, is I started drinking and 
it wasn't a part like at that point, like I was drinking to kind of like run away from things, um, the feelings that were coming up and like, it was kind of fun during that period. And then like, as I got further along, you know, I got into my twenties, like I started having consequences of like, you know, DUIs and things like that, where all of a sudden it was like, oh yeah, like I need to change some behaviors. But at that point, what I realized is that I didn't want to, and, um, I wanted to continue the party. And so my friends were going to college and I just got a job. Um, I worked with my dad and I continued to drink and party and drink and party. And I, I was successful with his business. I did sales for a really long time for him. And what I realized is that like the behavior was kind of perpetuated by, you know, like I would do well in sales. I wanted to continue the party. So I, I it just like it kept on going and going and going. And then once I got that DUI that I talked about, that's like where things shifted and my, my disease kind of took like a right turn and it took a turn into like painkillers or opiates. And then from there, it consistently graduated. Um, you know, I had built up a huge tolerance to pills and then the natural next step is like a harder, harder pill, which I was taking Oxycontin and, um, and, and then I moved on after going to treatment for the first time to heroin. And uh, that's, that's like kind of right at that moment where I'm ripping apart the pipes is kind of like where I, where everything comes to a head right at that point. Most people have not gone through addictions and, and it's always difficult for us to really understand what it's like during that, that time as, as it's happening, do you know that you are, you know, being disruptive? Are you completely avoiding that thought altogether? Um, you, you say you were chasing the parties. Is that just such a powerful energy and, and completely ignores any sort of thought of this is, this is wrong. I'm ruining my life. Yeah. I mean, every once in a while you have those, that, that thought of like, oh yeah, I'm doing something wrong. But for the most part, like it's a disease of denial, you know? So like you deny that you actually have it. And that's like the tricky part of the disease because like no one, I mean, even a doctor can't diagnose you alcoholic. I mean, it has to be self-diagnosed. Because if the person who is struggling with the, the disease of alcoholism d- still denies after their life is crumbling in front of them that they don't have a problem, they will never get help. And that's like why it's such a tricky, um, a tricky disease. But like there was times where I thought like I was destroying my life and I wanted it to be destroyed. Like I, I, I wanted to burn the whole place down, which sounds like crazy, I think. I mean, just like saying it out loud now, since I've been removed from addiction for, you know, for the last 10 and a half years, but um, saying that sounds crazy, but the truth is, is like, I, I hated the person that I was. And so like, I didn't want to be around, you know, and I was like consistently killing myself slowly. I was killing myself slowly um, on a daily basis. And and sometimes I would have fun and other times I'd be an emotional wreck. And other times my friends didn't want to hang out with me. And other times I was getting arrested by the police and all of that stuff. And and there's like little moments of clarity where it's like, I don't want to live like this anymore. And then then the next thing is, is like, are you willing to change? Are you willing to do something different? And for the longest time, like I'd have that moment of clarity and I'd be like, I'm not willing to do anything different. I want to keep going. I just want to keep doing this. And that's why it's so baffling. 
So you're standing in front of the mirror, you have the pipes in your hands, you recognize that this is, this is wrong, this is terrible, I need to turn my life around. What was the first step you took uh, to do that? Oh, man. Um, to turn my life around? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the first step I took was to, to acknowledge that I had, that I thought I had a problem, which my family already knew that I had a problem, but I didn't know I had a problem. You know, like I had these like little moments where I thought I was out of control. But so I acknowledged that I needed to change. I needed to do something different. And having that moment of clarity in front of the mirror um, was like an aha moment. And so like I had that moment of clarity. I continued to drink and use for about six months after that. And what happened was, is I, I got a hold of my sister and I told her that I had a problem. And then from there, that's when I went into treatment center the first time. And, and they were prepared for that moment for me to like realize that they weren't, they weren't trying to sell it to me or they weren't trying to do anything. They were trying to be supportive, but also not attached, which is important for, for families, I think. So, right. And, and when did yoga come into your life? And, and I'd love to just dive into the, uh, your experience with yoga. Uh, you practice Ashtanga yoga. Yep. How did that come into your life? And, and what was that sort of journey like to where, to where you got to today? Yeah, I mean, I um, I started yoga um, about six months sober, and so the time that I just told you about was the first time I entered it in a treatment center. There was there's three other times, and on the last time, I finally got it, finally like submitted to the program. I finally like was willing to do whatever it took. And what what was it that made you get it? You know, from a from an outside perspective, um, I lost everything. I had no other avenues. There was no other options for me. It was either literally you change or you die or you go to jail. Choose one. And I chose to change. It was like the straw that broke the camel's back. I I reached a point where I was like, okay, I'm willing to do whatever it takes in order to get sober. And so then I started doing some work and I started doing the 12 steps. I tried to, I started doing, um, you know, the steps with the sponsor. I started going to 12 step meetings and I started really working hard on myself. And it's like really scary. I mean, and no wonder like the success rate for recovering alcoholics or drug addicts is like pretty low because I mean, you got to do some serious work, some serious soul searching. And um, I, I was at a point where I was willing to do it. And so I reached about six months sober, I reached the 11th step. And the 11th step is sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. And we have to figure out a way, people who are like me have to figure out a way to integrate those steps into our lives. And, and at that point, I was willing to do whatever it took um, to, to stay sober. And so like the door was cracked open for willingness, you know, like I was willing to do it. And this lady walked into my life and she, she asked me, she, she was in a meeting with me and she did a beeline over to me. And she said, um, I think I'm supposed to teach you yoga. And my response was like, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. Like, I don't even know what yoga is. I'm not interested in it. And then um, I saw her six more times just to say, you know, like, you know, when my higher power wants me to do something, um, (laughs) the lesson is repeated over and over and over until I listen. Um, And I know that today, like back then it was kind of like a question mark whether or not I actually understood that. So I saw her six more times and she asked me uh, to come to her yoga class and I called my sponsor and he was like, yoga is meditation, you know, and you're trying to figure out how to integrate that step and that step 
focuses on prayer and meditation. And I think you need to go to yoga. And he, he basically shoved me into the yoga room. Awesome. And yeah. who was this woman? Um, her name's Joni. And um, she's a Ashtanga yoga teacher here in Columbus as well. So we're both teachers here. Awesome. So, so the, this this sort of vision comes into your life of I need to teach you yoga. You you end up in the yoga room. What was that first session like? I can only imagine. Yeah, I mean, just to put it, uh, give you a little bit of detail. Like, you know, I was sticking needles in my arm. I was completely out of shape. I was bloated. Basically, I was still smoking cigarettes. If you can believe that, um, it seems it seems crazy nowadays, but. Um, I, you know, like I was not a pillar of health and I walked in there and we did Ashtanga yoga and Ashtanga yoga is considered like a hard style of yoga. And I walked in also with like almost a competitive background. You know, I did a little bit of basketball, a little bit of baseball, some, some golf and, and that kind of stuff. And, and I realized that, um, I, like I wanted to be number one as soon as I walked in before I even did anything you know, before I even tried it, like I walked in and compared myself to every single person in the room, you know, that's just like grounds for like destroying your, you know, comparing yourself is like, you know, you're always going to sell yourself short if you're going to compare yourself. And that was the first experience. And we went through this practice. Like I had like almost this grease coming out of my skin. Um, I couldn't do a push up because my elbows were hurting so bad from like just bad, um, you know, obviously bad behaviors, put needles in them. And I hated it. The first time, I, I couldn't stand it. Like, I, I couldn't touch my toes. I couldn't do any of it. And it brought up all of these feelings. And the feelings of really inadequacy and, and also the feelings of, like, like I didn't belong there. You know, like, I, I'd done too much damage in my life to, to be with these healthy people who were practicing yoga. And I laid down for, like, the rest, for the resting pose at the very end where we just, like, kind of calm our nervous system down. And, um, I was, I was pissed. I, and she let us out of that, you know, that pose. And, and I literally like ran out of the room and smoked a cigarette, drank a Red Bull and, and ate some bad food. And I was like, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna run away from these feelings. And I did, I ran away. And, and until I called my sponsor, like I was finally talked back into, um, doing yoga the second time, um, because I felt so vulnerable on that first day, you know, like I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what it was. Like I, I wanted to beat everyone in the room. Like, I mean, all of that's just absurd now that I think about it today. It's just, that's why I'm, I, I really enjoy teaching new people um, nowadays. Right. Yeah. Now, now, I read that in that first class, you heard a voice saying that you're perfect just how you are. Yeah. That was the second class, though. Oh, was that the second class? I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, where, where, you know, what, where did that come from and, and how did that uh, change everything, I guess? Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the second class I was talked back into going and we did the same routine. We did the same sequence and we got done and, and it was a totally different experience than the first time. And I literally laid down and I did, I, it, it, it was literally the first time in my life that I said in my head that the grass is green on my side of the street in my entire life. I never wanted to be me. Like I, I, I always wanted to be you because your, your situation looked better than my situation. And I always thought I was dysfunctional. Like I always thought like, you know, like I'm a hell on wheels or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a crazy person. 
And, um, and then also the, the next like voice that came to my head is like, you're perfect just the way you are. Mm. And I don't know if that was like me saying that or like someone else, like, you know, something divine, like came in and said that, like, I'm, I just know that it was a, it was a general feeling that I had never felt before. I never felt perfect. Um, I always felt totally flawed. And so to have that experience on the second class, I mean, because the first class was intense Second class was intense also, but then like to have that kind of pat on the back that said, it it was almost like saying like, you need to keep going. Like you need to keep doing this. You need to keep working hard. You need to come back to class. Like that was, that was what it felt like. It felt like support. And I never stopped coming from, from that point. And what you describe with yoga is, is what I, you know, I hear a lot from, from other yoga practitioners that they talk about how yoga is so different from normal exercise because of that sort of added mental aspect of continually having to push yourself and deal with the inner sort of struggle. And, 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 you know, you talked about competition and, and I think that's what gets a lot of people scared about going to yoga in the first place, but also what keeps them in there once, once they're there, what's, you know, what's been your experience with yoga compared to other forms of, of exercise? Yeah. I mean, nowadays I don't even view yoga as an exercise. I mean, like it, it's, it's like my spiritual um, path, you know, it, it's like uh, every day I'm doing my, my prayers with my body, you know, and, and so the intention is totally different than an exercise class. And, you know, I get to see um, my progress. I get to see like what I struggle with. I get to see what gets brought up, you know, like I get to see where fear creeps in, which it creeps in all the time for everyone uh, everywhere. Like, I mean, constantly we're dealing with fear and, you know, like, because some of the positions that we do are difficult or, you know, they're advanced. And, and so like you have this mental chatter that shows up that says like, I'm not good enough or any of that stuff. And, and, and we get to overcome that stuff and we get to, uh, we get to like turn the chapter where a lot of times like people will have that chapter replayed over and over and over their entire life. But in the yoga room, like what we get to do is like we get to acknowledge that chapter. We get to acknowledge those things that are holding us back. And we also get to get to the other side of them. And I think that's what's powerful about the whole, the whole experience of, of yoga. Because, I mean, people deep down, what I've realized from people in my community is that we want to be better. You know, we feel disconnected. We want to be better. We want to look society in the eyes. And we want to, we want to be a positive part of it. Like, um, and, and I, I think everyone feels that as you look around, like, um, at where society is, whether it's Canada or United States or Mexico, any of these places where we have enough material stuff, you know, we have, we have all of these things, but like deep down, we're not happy inside, you know, there isn't contentment. And so like, what makes you happy? And, and what I've found is that if you can come in here and show progress, you know, you can work on like. Um, progress and you can work on being a better human and treating other people better and being truthful. You look at life through such a different lens, like with an open heart instead of a closed heart. And, and that's, what's powerful for people. And I don't know if they, I don't know if people get that in exercise, but I know, I do know that they give, get that um, in yoga and that's, what's important about it. I think. I love that. And, and you know, you, you teach Ashtanga yoga in some rehabs, do you not? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like one of my um, favorite places to teach. So you talked about 
the the, the idea of, of you know being just with yourself and and but also trying to prove to yourself that you can be better or and 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 this whole idea of of improvement i, I can you know I, I can imagine that in a rehab environment where people are you know starting from the lowest of lows what what is it like for them because in, in many cases, and I'm sure this was the case with you, that's that's one of the very few times that they've ever had to sort of be on their own. Uh, I don't know if I'm saying this correctly, but be on their own and deal with yeah. those thoughts and and sort of just sit with them for, for a period of time and, and struggle with them, but also struggle with learning yoga. And I'm, you know, what, what is that whole dynamic like? I, th- I think that's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it is fascinating. I mean, and it, to be completely real with you, I mean, it's, it is so hard to get sober. Like, I mean, it is so hard to get sober. I mean, it is, uh, it's the hardest thing that I've ever done with my entire, I mean, in my entire life, I've never done anything more difficult than that. Mm. And to teach in those treatment centers, teach in the halfway houses, like what I realize is that like these guys, they're working their ass off and it's really hard work. I mean, to shed the layer, like to shed these layers that have, that have been in our um, system or have been in our mind for many, many years. You know, some of the people are 50 years old. Some people are 20 years old. I mean, those patterns of behaviors, shedding those things are very difficult. And so like to do yoga is like the catalyst for the change. And so we've seen like amazing results, but I mean, it requires that they're willing to do whatever it takes in order to get sober. You know, like they have to no longer want any of the stuff in their life anymore um, in order for them to, to be open enough to receive the change. I mean, that's what it requires from like, you know, those, those folks that we're teaching. And, and that's where we teach from. We don't teach yoga as an exercise when we're, when we're in there. We teach it from the same aspect as what I just told you, like that it's about change. It's about like you looking society in the, in, in the eyes and being a better person and, and teaching, um, or excuse me, in, in being, um, nonviolent and being truthful and all of those things. And so to see that like kind of come full circle for those people and, and have them grasp it, man, there is nothing more rewarding in my life than to see that we've seen people recover. We've seen people get it. We've seen people, um, we've seen people struggle as well. Reality of the situation but I mean, the statistics of like the people that we see in our treatment center classes that actually make it to our yoga studio, like they have a 70% recovery rate. Wow. And, yeah. And, and the, re- the recovery rate for people that are just doing 12 steps is like 10%. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. And, and so we've seen these people like transition into our yoga community and like, you know, the opposite of of addiction is community or connection, you know, and they come in here and like the people are friendly to them. They're, they're, they're learning how to be in an environment where it's supportive, you know, and some of them never had that. Mm. And, and so it's just, man, it like, it tugs at my heartstrings because like, you know, what we're trying to do is really like help people so that they don't have to go through what I went through. People don't have to struggle anymore with addiction. Like, I think we know what the the solution is, you know, like not just what we're doing, but other things as well. Like people know what the solution is, but we need the communities and we need the connection in order for people to recover. 
So you, in the book, you talk about uh, your family and, and you have a, a daughter, Michaela. Yep. Um, what is, you know, what has yoga done to your, to your family life? And, and um, can you share with us any sort of examples of how that has improved your fam- family dynamic in any way? Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest is, is that we travel to India, you know, once a year and we stay a couple months at a time and, and we, um, we go over there and study with my teacher. Um, his name's Sharat Joyce. And it, that, that has been a huge impact on our, on our life, just from, you know, from my six-year-old Michaela, like going over there and having life experience in, um, in India is, is pretty magical. Um, so that's one of them, but also like what it's done for their dad is like open his heart. And so like, I'm able to be a dad today where I was unable to be a dad before, you know, like I, I was dealing, I, like I'm, I wasn't capable of, of being a dad when I was struggling with addiction. And so like yoga and 12 steps has given me my life, my, a life that I didn't even know that uh, was possible and given me a daughter and given me a family that I'm actually available to. And I wasn't available um, back then. There's a really great moment in the book when you were speaking to your daughter, uh, Michaela, and you said, you can start your day over at any time. She said, how do I do that? You explained, go into your room, take some deep breaths, forgive yourself, then walk back out. You don't have to pretend like it didn't happen, but it's time to let it go and move on. So your daughter went into her room and did exactly that same thing. Uh, came out with a completely different frame of mind. And, and, and when she emer- emerged from the room, she said, thanks, Dad. I didn't know I could do that. I think that's pretty, pretty cool that uh, you, know, you could teach your daughter to do something like that. Yeah. I mean, and that's what yoga's taught me. And that's what the 12 steps have taught me. Being able to start my day over at any, any point in time. So I'm able to share that stuff with my, my kids. And you know, like, just like the rest of us, I feel like we get kind of stuck in like this something bad happens and then our whole day is ruined. And it's like, no, I mean, that's a moment. Like why let it be like sticky and hold on to it for, for hours after weeks after, you know, months after. Mm. And uh, we do that stuff as humans like that. I mean, that's part of like our, our human conditioning, you know, that we hold on to stuff. And like, so to be able to teach my daughter that, you know, she's able to start her day over at any time. I mean, is, uh, is another gift of what I've been given. Um, right. I'm just passing on to my kids. Just on a side note, I, I'm in that stage of life where my friends are starting to have kids, and 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 they're those kids are actually getting older, and and um, it's amazing how much yoga is how ha- is incorporated into the curriculum and 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 uh, into the schools these days. I think it's absolutely incredible, and kids are are learning yoga. They're learning how to meditate. Uh, it's pretty fascinating to see it uh, t- to see it happen. It is. I, yeah. It is totally fascinating. My daughter, she, um, she has class every Wednesday from two 30 to three 30. And she, her, she has a yoga teacher that comes into her school. She basically teaches them like little postures and then they do little arts and crafts and things like that. And w- which is really fascinating, um, to see like, you know, six year olds like pick right. up on like on, on what it, I, I could only imagine 20 years down the road. I was just going to say, yeah. yeah, because I mean, yoga has obviously been around for, for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, but it seems like it's only been within the last, you know, past few decades that it's, it's started to become more mainstream. I can't even imagine what it's going to look like in, in 10, 12 years when these kids are, are in their twenties and thirties and, and it's just going to become the norm. Yeah. I mean, I hope they, um, they are ushering in a new wave of awareness for all of us. Um, I hope that's what's happening. 
for sure. Exactly. Well, Taylor, just before we start to uh, to wrap up, uh, we always like to ask our guests a series of uh, fun sort of rapid fire questions. And I'm wondering if we can do the same with you. Yeah, let's do it. Totally. Awesome. Uh, first question is, what is your favorite part about being a man? Um, being ex- an example for my kids. Um, you know, they have a, an amazing mother. And so like, you know, being in a, being in a, a positive, open, honest, like male figure in their life that is supportive and caring. Cause I think they need, we need more of that in our society and we need more of it in my life. Love it. Uh, what is your biggest challenge about being a man? Oh man, that's a really good one too. Um, being vulnerable, I think, mm. you know, like I, um, uh, I definitely have this, um, I have a masculine side, but um, it's hard for me to to get out the real caring side, almost like the female side of of my masculinity. Um, that's hard for me to share, but I think I do a pretty a pretty decent job of it today. But I could always get better. Absolutely, and and you know, I actually saw a quote from you where you said uh, you never thought you were going to share everything that happened to you, especially all the the dark stuff that that happened during your addiction years. And it took nine years of practicing yoga before you were okay with with your past. But when you started sharing it, you realized that you weren't the only one struggling and, and that you were that that we're all actually fighting our own, you know, inner battles. Right. Um, so which, true. Which, and I mean, men in particular, we're, we're you know, we're, we, I don't I don't want to say we all struggle with vulnerability, but it's not our, our strong, our strong suit in the first place. Right. I mean, we're supposed to like have the armor on. Totally. You know, we're the yeah, I mean, that's I, I mean, at least that's what I've been taught. You know, yeah. and, and I think that's what a lot of us are taught. But I mean, you know, this last 10 years of my life has been about opening my heart, opening my mind and like being open to the vulnerability. And, and it's been a pretty amazing journey. Um, it, it's also nice to have balance between the two vulnerability and strength, you know, totally. where, where a lot it's of times it's like. Created, it's why we create it's why we started Man Talks uh, is to, to encourage men to tap into that vulnerable side the uh, the soft squishy side of themselves yeah because uh, you can have both <laughs> you can totally have both yeah, yeah for sure <laughs> I'm, I'm totally down with that <laughs> yeah yeah in your opinion who is the most influential person of all time whoa um <laughs> that's a heavy question the most influ- influential I mean it could be girl or guy can be girl or guy absolutely um that's a really good one i i mean i think it would be easy to say like jesus christ um, I think it would be easy to say like Bo- the, the Buddha, you know, like those are all people that are way in the past. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe stick with one of those guys. Um, but that's a really good question. I, it caught me off guard there. <laughs> in your opinion, what is the most underrated trait for modern day success? I mean, vulnerability. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's totally underrated and it's not utilized. That's for sure. Totally. And, and, and maybe honesty too. You know, like everyone's scared of being like saying something out loud because they, you know, or honest, being honest, like, you know, and saying what they feel and how they, how they are, which is a level of vulnerability. I feel like they definitely go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, to like being honest and being vulnerable and being like, this is who I am, like take me or leave me. And this is like, this is what I have to share, Um, which is part of my journey for sure. Like with my book. Cool. Love it. What is one thing that everyone should experience at least once in their lifetime? India. Cool. Yeah, for sure. If you were to be uh, sent and and stuck on a desert island, what is the one book you would bring with you? Um, I'd probably bring a journal. Cool. 
Yeah. So I could document the history of what was happening, even though I was alone. What if your pen runs out of ink? Um, you know, they, <laughs> that's a good question too. Maybe, uh, those, those, uh, tablets like Noah or, uh, like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Moses had. So. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Not the electric tablets. No, no, that, that wouldn't work either. Right. Um, and finally, what is, uh, what would you like your lasting legacy to be? Um, I'd like my lasting legacy to be that, that of a person that struggled with, um, something that was so grave. Um, that was killing his friends, and he ushered in a new awareness that people can overcome a- addiction and get better, be better, and look society back in the eyes. And so, like, really ushering in the, you know, the the change of what's needed um, when it comes to addiction. Awesome, love that, uh, guys. The book is called Away from Darkness. Um, I'm, I, it's it's available wherever books are sold. Definitely online as well. Um, also, please go to the website. It, it, it is um, first of all, it's a beautiful website. I'm absolutely in love with uh, with the design of it. Um, I, I went on, I went on it to the for the first time when I first uh, heard about you and read the book, uh, and it's got this beautiful little spotlight that comes down on you, and it it totally just helps set the scene for, for the story. Um, it's absolutely incredible. Taylor, where's, uh, where's the best place people could reach you, learn more about you, uh, reach out and say hi. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, a couple websites, one is awayfromdarkness.com. Um, you can purchase the book. You can also contact me on there. Um, the other one is taylorhuntyoga.com and that lists my workshops. And obviously that has an email link as well. And um, you can find me on all the Instagram, Instagram and Facebook and all of those things as well. Um, but the websites are probably the best way to get in touch with me. And the book is being sold primarily on Amazon and Kindle. And then obviously Barnes and Noble and other places have it as well. So yeah, you could find me on all of those things. Awesome. Guys, the book is called Away From Darkness. Taylor, thank you so much for joining us. Guys, uh, thank you so much for listening to the Man Talks podcast. Catch us next week for another interview as we build better men through conversation, connection, and community together.